This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 160. Well, just ahead, sales are in the toilet for Bed Bath & Beyond. And the CEO, speaking of your home, has been shown the door. And General Mills, the house that Cheerios built, is having an interesting post-COVID experience. And cybersecurity leader Zscaler, CEO Jay Chandra joins us to talk about zero trust, the cutting edge of cybersecurity. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to The Drill Down, so many podcast players. It's hard to pick a favorite, although some of them, Isaac, let people listen to us at three times the normal speed. Isaac, you at 300%. It's a whole different thing. I'm more like a 125% speed guy, but check it out. But regardless of how fast you listen to us, make sure you do listen to us by clicking subscribe and catching every show. And the drill down is also brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We've got business stories, not just Wow, this one's up. Wow, this one's down. No, we're going to tell you how these businesses work and what's happening in these businesses and helping me do that is executive producer Isaac Webster. Hello, Corey. Yeah. Well put. <laughs> That's what you got? Hello, Corey? Hello, Corey. That's exactly what we do in this show. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with the big mess that is Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Eek, uh, this story. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond trades under BBBY, three Bs and a Y. Shares have fallen 82% over the past 12 months. And just three months ago, BBBY, BBBY was trading around 22 bucks a share. Today, five bucks a share. So this was one of those meme stocks, one of those Reddit stocks, one of those stocks that uh, a couple of investors at the Reddit people loved they try to jam the short sellers in the stock. They thought this was another going to be another GameStop fantastic play, if you will. It was, as you mentioned, a $30 stock. It had these huge surges, uh, um, uh, you know, when the, when the meme stock investors would jump in and run this thing up. Well, the company announced, put out two press releases today, both of them pretty bad news. The earnings release was bad. Sales mm -hmm. of $1.5 billion down 25%, margins down uh, by about a third to 24%. They, they put in the headline, announcing aggressive actions on inventory cost and CapEx. That's not a good sign. But two minutes before that press release was the press release saying the CEO was being, well, we were trained very carefully not to say anyone's being fired. You don't know what happens behind closed doors. 
But they said the CEO was suddenly leaving in this press release that preceded the earnings release with the quote, the board determined that it was time for a change in leadership with Mark mm. Triton out and Sue Grove in as an interim CEO. Uh, headlines followed. I saw a Yahoo headline that said, Bed Bath & Beyond earnings, this company is going bankrupt, analyst says. Those aren't the kind of headlines you want to get. Uh, no. And the meme stocks, look, what happened with this company when it got, when the stock went crazy uh, because the meme investors were, and Reddit investors were, were traders were buying the stock and driving up the share price, is the company rather than say, issue more stock and mm -hmm. raise needed money, they seem to contribute to the rise in the stock by buying back shares and taking precious dollars, millions of them, tens of millions of them, hundreds of millions, they spent a fortune buying back shares, reducing the float in the stock, maybe adding to the increase in the share price that uh, it was elusive and temporary. Yes, the stock hit 30 bucks uh, in March, but it's at $5, as you mentioned, now after this news. And now liquidity is an issue. And the CFO, who's still there, uh, Gustavo Arnal, was asked, what's, you know, do you have the liquidity to keep things going? And even the, are the next few quarters uh, going to be okay? Here's Mr. Arnal. We have sufficient liquidity within our credit facility uh, as we speak and working with BRG, working with our financial advisors, there are avenues that we're exploring to even increase further our liquidity and navigate through the working capital cycle, in particularly in the next two quarters, given the seasonality of our business. So we are confident on our ability to manage cash, liquidity, to strengthen the balance sheet and be very focused where we invest and where we take costs out. Well, you know, listen, he has to be confident, right? He has to give the impression of confidence um, because these press releases were just so alarming. If you're talking about credit facilities and working with financial advisors, that's not from a position of strength. Um, and, you know, the company was in, it could have done this very differently uh, if they had, you know, you know for, for whatever reason, the meme stock people created an, an opportunity for some companies to raise money. Not all of them did. Corey, what is your next drill down? General Mills. General Mills trades under GIS and shares have risen 23% in a year, rallying after its Q4 report recently. Yeah, uh, the house that Cheerios built, I said. Um, when you think of General Mills, they do a lot of different kinds of foods, but uh, uh, it is still, um, uh, you know, cereal is really important. Snap, crackle, pop is, is, is no joke. Well, that's a Kellogg's product, but still. Um, uh, Cheerios, <laughs> big deal. Um, and uh, this company announcing an interesting earnings report because they've been able to take price. They've been able to raise prices um, uh, even as their costs have increased 14% is, is their uh, summation of what kind of inflation they're facing in terms of their costs. Uh, but I thought what was most interesting, at least to me in the, um, uh, the conference call for this company, wasn't the inflation numbers and wasn't their conflicting notion of what supply chain problems are either going to resolve this year or not going to resolve this year. They said kind of both things in their conference call. But it was the effects of um, COVID benefits on, uh, on welfare benefits, specifically SNAP, which is a supplemental nutrition and assistance program 
which is a huge, huge program uh, in the United States. Um, and it leads to the purchases of a lot of cereal for a lot of General Mills products. Uh, in particular, during COVID, there was an increase in people um, using SNAP, uh, you know, where the numbers that had been, you know, in 2019 of $60 billion were up closer to $80 billion uh, in 2020 and persisted at a high level. The increased SNAP benefits are going to continue, the COVID-related benefits, at least through October. And the company is saying that that was a big boost for their sales and likely to continue to drive revenues. Um, and so, you know, since the the thick of the quarantine and layoffs and the economic slowdown that came right after the beginning of quarantines um, uh, has slowed down, but still there are these benefits out there for General Mills. So as they raise prices, those prices are being paid for um, by the government, uh, supplementing the nutrition of poor people, allowing them to buy General Mills products. Uh, and General Mills is very aware of what this means for what they're doing, both in their name brand products and their cheaper private label products and generic products that they make for the supermarkets and uh, of the world. Uh, here is Chief Financial Officer Kofi Bruce. SNAP is obviously one of the elements that will drive top line. And while SNAP is down versus pandemic highs, it's still uh, above pre-pandemic uh, periods. So we continue to monitor SNAP and, and it plays into things, but some bigger uh, factors in play as well, including the shift to more in-home eating and then even what's playing out in our categories, uh, we've obviously watched very closely as well in terms of uh, how branded players are performing, how private labels are performing. And if you look back through history during economic downturns, we tend to perform pretty well. We see our categories increase by a point or two in terms of volume performance. Uh, we've actually held our own from a share standpoint during uh, those periods. We've seen the second and third tier brands lose share to private labels. So it's a dynamic time. We're, we're very close to uh, you know, our business and watching all the different factors. But uh, SNAP is just one of those. So, yeah, Isaac, I haven't done a deep dive on uh, uh, SNAP, I think, ever, really. Um, but it's something I'm going to look into some more because I think there are probably a handful of companies that have been benefiting from this. And that benefit might stop in October. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of appetite for any more COVID relief in Washington. Uh, and that might mean a slowdown for sales. You know, the, obviously the market reacted very positively to this, but I wonder what it's going to mean when those uh, those expenditures uh, trying to help very poor people uh, are taken off the table. Yeah, we will see. Um, you know, see what I did there, taken off the table? Did you see what I, I, I did? I did. That, that was, was great. That was very, that very, was, very well done. Very well done. I, I, have, a whole, I have a team of writers here at the, <laughs> at the uh, suburban non-headquarters uh -huh. of the Business Podcast Network. That'd be my home office. Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to look at, speaking of current events, let's stick at Aero Environment. Aero Environment. God, I can never say the name of that company. It's a $2 billion company that makes drones. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. Aero Environment trades under AVAV and shares have fallen 31% over the past 12 months, dropping 17% over the past month. Trading right now around $75, a ways off from its 52-week high of 114. But what an the interesting company, company. Yeah, and it's been a it's been a controversial stock over the years, whatever. I don't need to get into that stuff. But I'm it, you know, a company that makes drones right now is an interesting company to look at because, you know, we have this situation obviously in Ukraine. And um, there were some big there was a belief that uh air environment would um uh, benefit greatly. You know, the stock was trading 60, went to 110 as the war started to take off, um, uh, you know, from kind of February to April. Um, well, Ukraine's using the aerovironment drones. 
Correct. Um, and and the company is uh, nonetheless reported a quarter that was kind of disappointing. Um, their forecasts for the next year also not as bullish as a lot of um, uh, investors were kind of penciling out numbers saying, well, these products are super hot right now. Um, we can these uh, and we can expect to see um, particularly their switchblade um, uh, drone. Have you seen these things? So it's essentially it's a it's a drone that's that can be essentially carried. It's very small and and very portable and um, uh, very powerful. And these switchblade drones would be a huge success. They got a lot of press um, as the war began. They were it's kind of a neato technological solution that um, you know helped them get sales up closer to five hundred million dollars um, for the fiscal year. At least that's a prediction for next year. They're saying that sales will be about five hundred and five million dollars in the mid range. Um, and that was less than what Wall Street expected, whatever. I think what really was happening is there was a penciling out of, of the notion that a lot of companies would be buying drones. And the company's still kind of pounding the table on that, saying that um, they're going to see lots of signs of increased uh, purchases, not just from the U.S. Department of Defense, but from um, uh, lots of countries throughout Europe and beyond as they both replenish inventory levels and make new purchases. Here's CEO Walid Nawabi. We see all the signs and signals from our customer, which we're very closely in contact with, that the US DOD is planning on replenishing all the inventory levels that they had pre-Ukraine war, uh, maybe even higher, maybe even higher, because the uh, efficacy and the relevance of our switchblades uh, family of systems have been extremely uh, positive given uh, the conflict that's going on out there and the usage of them. Uh, and so in general, that's one factor. The second factor that we should take into play also is that there are several, several countries, uh, primarily in Europe, that have all uh, made requests both through FMS and DCS cases um, for proposal and requests for acquiring switchblade and some of our other small UAS systems and medium UAS systems too. So I see it not only the demand from the U.S. domestic DOD customers, but also to fulfill and backfill the existing uh, depletion of inventories, uh, but maybe even increasing that to some extent. But additionally, on top of that, we've got approval for 20-plus countries uh, to be able to sell switchblades to, and many of them have already made requests, and those will eventually will convert into uh, orders, we believe. The difficulty is exactly when. That timing is very difficult to predict, but we're engaged with them and they're all moving in the positive direction. It'll take some time for that to convert to actual orders. And that's the story here when it comes to kind of the company, right? It's got this these, these neato or terrible products to use in war. Um, and it seems like a solution to a, a lot of problem that a lot of countries might want to purchase. But as he says, converting to actual orders has been the problem for AeroVironment. And What's we'll that? see Let's if they have to get that The done. supply chain, the supply chain, right? Sure it is. Bottlenecks. Sure it is. Look. Um, why, this why, is, why do you say sure it is like that? At the end of the day, you got to sell products to get the revenues. And um, are they going to hit these numbers? I mean, they're, they're predicting 2023 numbers are going to get better. But most companies are saying they expect supply chain problems of this year to kind of be resolved a year from now. So uh, I wish them uh, uh, personally well. I hope we don't have a need for all these drones and all this war and that there would be some kind of solution in particular in Ukraine um, in that next year. But um, it's an interesting company and an interesting one to watch. And it tells us a lot about uh, what's going on in the world and what we might expect, uh, how governments respond to this new form of aggression, a renewed form of aggression coming from Russia.
All right, coming up next, speaking of aggression, let's talk about cyber warfare. Uh, Zscaler CEO joined us, Jay Chowdhury, in a company that really is setting the standard for how cybersecurity works now, best practices, and driven by some uh, issues of uh, direction from the White House. So the CEO of Zscaler coming up right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, Jay Chowdhury joins us right now. He is the CEO of Zscaler. Fascinating company, important, an increasingly important company in technology and security. Um, and Jay, glad to have you on. We've had you on the show before. You're one of our rare repeat guests, um, but your company is important and interesting enough. I thought we'd do it again. So I was trying to, I was just trying to explain to a friend saying, I got to run the CEO of Zscaler. I'm about to, to interview him for the podcast. And I was trying to explain what zero trust is. And I think I did a bad job of it. What I said was, Traditionally, security is about surrounding a perimeter and keeping people uh, from having access to it, but thinking about what's at the center first and extending boundaries uh, every step of the way. And that zero identity, or, or that, that uh, you know, the focus on zero identity is really a focus on the individual who's trying to get in. But I couldn't think of a way to a metaphor to explain how that experience is different or why that experience is different. Yeah, zero trust can be confusing, trust, yeah. but it should not be <laughs> it started from the confusing <laughs> started with the term that zero trust was start with zero trust and then give explicit trust to do certain things today it's a little bit opposite here's a good analogy or metaphor to explain if i come to see you at your headquarters they're going to stop me at the reception they're going to check my id they're going to give me a badge that's called identity. Who are you? Okay. Right. Once they gave me a badge, they could say, Jay, just go to room 22 for your meeting, unescorted. And if they did so, I could go and wander around, go to any room that's open, even go to adjacent buildings if they're interconnected, snoop around and leave. Not a good idea. That's why good companies don't let people unescorted. Today, when you go to your office, you connect to the network, you, you connect your PC to the network, and you can literally look at every PC, every server on that network in that office. Okay, And you can see system you shouldn't be seeing. Now, you may not have credential to get in them, but if they're not patched, you may be able to get in and do bad stuff. That's the problem with non-zero trust, what's known as network security. Let's right. go to the easy, what is zero trust now? Back to the same metaphor. I come to see you, they stop me at reception. They say, stop, who are you? They check my ID, they give me a badge. Then they say, just stop. You will be escorted to your meeting room. You don't even need to know what your meeting room number is. And I'll take you there, the meeting happens, then I escort you back out. You're only allowed to access a given resource, a given room that you're allowed to, you go nowhere else. So a user to a room, in this, in this case, think of the building as the data center, 
think of the room as the application. You don't wander around and cause any of the damage out there. Perfect. Much better done. Okay, you've had more practice than me, but I'm supposed to be the storyteller around here. So, all right. So, zero trust is is, is the cutting edge in the industry. It is it is increasingly seen as a best practice. So much so that the White House has demanded that within two years, who has to? And you know, the, 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 they've said you got to. Well, you got two years uh, establish zero trust policies or zero trust uh, security, but for whom? Oh, they had talked to these federal agencies, so they they can have direct kind of directive for federal agencies. And then it goes to state, it's less directive, and they haven't really required it for com companies out there. It started with federal agencies. So you guys, last quarter, you put up 63% revenue growth. Mm -hmm. is, is How much of that is driven by that White House mandate and that, that federal mandate? The, the impact currently is fairly small because our federal business is not that significant yet. It's growing, it's pretty significant, but it's still in single digits. Okay. Okay. Uh, th there's an opportunity to go up. It, it is beginning to make a difference, but so far, the funding has begun to open up slowly. <laughs> well, but, but uh, I, they're moving see, the right I don't understand. I, I, I get the direction, but I don't know why it's slowly. I mean, I know, and I get that it's government, but when there's a right. two year mandate, right. you can only be so slow and still get it started within two years. Well, Corey, it's easy to write a mandate and get it out. It's a lot harder to get the budget approved and get it out. <laughs> it's like when I tell my kids to take out the garbage. It doesn't mean the garbage goes out. Right, exactly. Right. I, I, it also occurs to me that there's probably a lot of security opportunity in the infrastructure spending that's going to come out of the infrastructure bill that's now those checks are starting to get written. Yes. We our infrastructure needs a lot of help. Our critical infrastructure is in a worse shape than many other things. And that's what's needed to protect the country. If there are issues that these bad uh, state actors and nations that want to do something, they'll come after critical infrastructure, your power, your colonial pipeline of the world. And those plans since, and factories are very old. They need a fair amount of overhaul. And that's where we have a new initiative called Zero Trust for IoTOT. So you can securely access those systems for maintenance, monitoring, and whatnot. Uh, and we are involved in IoTOT? What's IoTOT yeah, IoT, stand for? IoT, yeah, it's uh, again, Internet of Things. There's, these are generally security devices right. like cameras and all that send you information. OT ends up being these planned systems that need to be accessed. The OT is a very important area for critical infrastructure. OT stands for? Other technology. It's yeah, essentially no, these industrial, industrial control systems that need to be accessed out there. Power plant access is an OT system. Your MRI x-ray machine sitting in a hospital that needs to be remotely monitored and managed is an OT system. Um, I wish I knew less about those machines than I do. Um, so uh, let me ask you about other business and, and sort of the, you've you've written some you've had some really big um, orders come through as evidenced by your last um, press release for third quarter uh, fiscal 2022. Uh, and I wonder what that tells us about the spending environment writ large. I don't I don't need to go too far away from what's happening at your company. I want to understand your company, but I am looking for little tidbits about what's actually happening. We see all these macro headlines trying to figure out the economy. 
we see what the stock market has done to technology companies, but the stock market is stupid and usually the macro headlines are too. I wonder what you're seeing. So they are becoming cautious that they want to make sure they can do a couple of things. One, the business need to become more agile and competitive to survive if times get tough. So they are beginning to make sure digital transformation initiatives happen. But they need to think about simplification and cost consolidation. So they're basically saying, Zscaler, if I bought your platform, what all products can you replace in one quarter, two quarter, three quarters? And three, I want to make sure my cybersecurity is good. So driven by those three things, we feel pretty good and strong, and customers are replacing more and more security point products to deploy a platform like Zscaler. That's what resulting in larger orders of customers. When we see slowdowns in that kind of spending, what do they look like? No one's deprioritizing security, but I mm -hmm. wonder what, if is, does the conversation become hey, what products can you replace, not over the next three quarters, but maybe the next six quarters? Is it, mm -hmm. yeah, how, do, how does the conversation change? Yes, the conversation changes is that I have more pressure to get better ROI than I had before. I have more pressure to save costs. Show me if you did A, B, and C with your platform, you can take out these things and you can still have better security. So getting better cybersecurity at a good ROI becomes important. And so you have to walk into a sales meeting knowing that you're going to have to show ROI, not just show better security. We need to do both, yes. And we have but maybe, generally But maybe there's that. more of a new emphasis. You've always done that, but maybe more emphasis on ROI yeah. now or no? A lot more emphasis on ROI. Absolutely. It's a, that's really interesting. It's, it's interesting because yours, like so many publicly traded te technology companies, is not a profit-making um, uh, company. And uh, it's interesting that you're, you're, you're dealing with issues of ROI, although you might not have ROI in a bottom-line sense for your own company. Well, there's a cost-saving involved. If a customer is spending X million dollars on these 12 different technologies, and they say, Zscaler, you come in with your platform, I can replace those 12 or 10 things. And if I was spending X million per year, and if you can bring it down or do a better job, a similar job, uh, I, this, this becomes an easy thing. That's really what they're looking for. Has the threat changed in the last, I don't know, when, when did we talk? Four months ago, five months ago, maybe even six? Yeah. The world uh, sure has. Yeah, you know, the biggest change was Russian attack on Ukraine. Uh, there was a bunch of cyber activity. There has a lot of low-level activity we are tracking, though. It seems to be picking up more and more. We haven't seen big public attacks directly on U.S. from Russia and the like. But, you know, it's a, it's a fairly tense situation overall, as you know. And when situations are tense, it's easy to start a cyber attack than a physical attack. A physical attack, everyone knows. A cyber attack, people don't even know where it came from. So it's easier to start that way. And I think that's one thing we need to be better prepared for, especially for our national infrastructure, critical infrastructure and the like. It does seem that there has been some quiet saber rattling around cyber saying, we might not attack you, whether it's US talking to Russia, Russia talking to US, and you know EU also on, on one side of this saying, but we might attack you, uh, uh, we might, we might in, in unleash an enhanced 
cyber attack if you don't do if you if you lift go another way if you raise the stakes we can too absolutely but but there's also a fear that both parties can do the same okay so there's a little bit of concern that if we did this we'll be hit back the same way so while there's a temptation to start but it's also uh, a kind of concern on both parties to start a full full blown cyber war. So that's why it's kind of it's more so reconnaissance, test a few things here and there, but I haven't seen anything big so far. So where else is business um, picking up? Are are you seeing new interest in your products, many new sectors, or anything that are growing faster than they were a year ago? So our business is uh, cross vertical. All verticals needed, but in the past two or three years, we have seen a strong pickup in financial services, which has become our largest vertical. Uh, insurance is, you can consider it part of financial, but we have very strong presence in the insurance sector as well. Uh, healthcare is strong, manufacturing is strong. So we are in all verticals pretty much. And when it comes to geos, uh, U.S. is big for us, but international is big for us. 50% of our business comes from outside the U.S., which is very strong for a fairly young company of our age. And lately, Japan is picking up quite a bit. We entered Japan late, uh, but business is growing at a very rapid pace. There. Well, it's a fascinating story to watch, and uh, it's interesting to see this get adopted across all platforms. Uh, zero Trust seems to be the way to go. Jay Chowdhury. Uh, so glad you came this way as well. Uh, joining us in the Drill Down podcast, we are always happy to have the CEO of Zscaler. Well, coming up in the Drill Down, we're going to have the Drill Down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Zscaler. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings, calls, and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to Drill Down easily on your smart speaker by requesting that activity. Just say to your smart speaker, hey, smart speaker, play the Drill Down podcast. And you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We are back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We get a whole lot of information, Isaac, from Zscaler regarding their business and their financial filings and investor activities. It's one of the fun things we're covering public companies. Com companies. They, can, they can tell us lots of stuff and have to tell us lots of stuff and it has to be true or they get in big trouble. So one of the numbers they put out, how many transactions a day happen under Zscaler's software? How many sort of um, informational sessions there are, transactions of information every day? Um, and they have more data pass through their system than Google has through its system. 20 really? times more. Wow. So here's that number. It's not 20 times. They do two, 240 billion transactions per day for their customers, which is 20 times more than Google does. Wow. I was going to guess the number was going to be in the thousands. <laughs> <laughs> That's the total number of public uh, uh, data centers transactions per day for policy and incident uh, uh, prevention, they say, um, and support tickets. It's just, it's just amazing. That's compared to Google searches. So they do 20 times more transactions than Google does searches every single day. That is impressive. No uh, wonder they're doing so It's still well. quite a small company. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, Room to grow. Um, sure. I, I wish them nothing but the best. Are right, you been listening to Drill On Podcast? I'm Corey Johnson. We are grateful for your time. So is Isaac Webster. He's our executive producer. So is Ben Wilson. We couldn't do it without him. He is an editor and extraordinary at it. Drill Down to Production and Business Podcast Network.